you would take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 4b all the way through verse 15. If you remember, last week, John introduced to us this idea, or Jesus introduced to us this idea that we will face persecution. And I think there's, there's a danger that we might think that this is disconnected from the rest of the discourse that we've seen from Jesus so far. This is uh, the upper room discourse, um, not discourses. So we, we need to remember that all this is very connected. This is Jesus' last conversation in private with his disciples, and he's seeking to tell them the last things that he thinks that they need to be aware of and they need to be doing in order to see successful uh, good ministry being accomplished as he leaves. And so he tells them in John chapter 15 that they will face persecution, that they will face trials. And then he tells them that they are to remain faithful witnesses for Christ in the midst of these trials and, and the real danger is not that they'll face these trials, that they'll face the persecution. The real danger is that as they go through the trials, as they go through the persecution, that they would stumble, that they would fall away from achieving their ultimate goal, that they would bring people to Christ. And this section is connected to very closely the same idea. He's continuing the same idea of trials, and he's talked about our responsibility in the midst of those trials, in the midst of persecution, is that we would not stumble, and the Holy Spirit is testifying of the truth, but then he slows down and he's going to tell them the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the midst of these same persecutions, these same trials. What is the Holy Spirit doing as we go through these persecutions, as we go through these trials? And so he says we are to remain faithful in our trials, but the Holy Spirit ministers simultaneously. The Holy Spirit is ministering as well. And so you and I are dependent upon the Holy Spirit's work in the world. We're dependent upon his work. If it was not for his work in the world, you would not come to Christ. You would not be a believer. If it's not for his work, the persecution would be worse because there'd be more persecutors. And also, at the end of the text, he's going to address for us this idea that we are able to have a full, developed understanding of theology because the Holy Spirit ministered to the disciples, the apostles, so that they were able to fully understand God's revelation. And so that they could record that revelation in the rest of the Bible for us so that we can now read it, understand it, and grow and mature and become more like Christ. Before we dive into the text, I'd like us to read through the text so that we understand uh, where Jesus is going with this. We don't really have a lot of time, so we can't read through all the aspects that he talked about in persecution and being a witness and the danger of us stumbling. But we've got to keep all that in mind. We've got to keep the idea of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us and our time in prayer. All this is part of the same upper room discourse. We can't forget any of it as we work through it, but we don't have time to preach it all at once um, either. So, 
Keep in mind other things that we've looked at as we go through this. John chapter 16, verse 4b. And these things, okay, so he's talking about the same things that he's talked about earlier. I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he's going to explain those things. He said that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But what does that exactly look like as individual thoughts? He's going to develop those in verse 9, 10, and 11. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12 then starts this new idea. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to read it, to understand it. We thank you for the fact that you um, cared for your disciples and that you cared for us and that you take time to help us to understand how you care for us and how you are continuing to minister in the world. We pray that you would... Um, Quiet our hearts and help us to listen to your word and to understand it as it is presented. In your name we pray. Amen. He begins by telling us the Holy Spirit convicts the world. And that's in John chapter 16, verses 4b through 11. And it's interesting. Jesus demonstrates a great deal of compassion for his negligent disciples. Jesus tells them, I didn't tell you everything earlier because I was with you. And as I was with you and you were going through this persecution, I actually took the, the brunt of the persecution. The disciples didn't really face much persecution as Jesus was with them. They didn't need to because Jesus took care of most of the persecution. He was the person that people were really persecuting. And so he didn't need to tell them about what was coming. And they didn't need to know. And he cared for them. And, and Jesus continues to demonstrate compassion. He tells them, I didn't tell you because I was with you, but now I'm getting ready to go away. And if you've remembered, even in John chapter 14, we've seen the disciples here, I'm going away, and what do they say? Where are you going? And then he introduces this idea that I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And he talks about the importance and the ministry that he's going to accomplish on their behalf in the midst of the heartache that they are experiencing, he still cares for them. He's still ministering to them. <clears throat> and here, he's going to rebuke them because 
once again, they're, they're, they're not concerned about him. But that rather their concern is about their own needs, their own desires. And so he says, I'm telling you that I'm getting ready to leave, but you guys aren't asking me, where are you going? You don't really demonstrate a lot of care for me. Why? Because of verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You found out that I'm getting ready to leave, and you're like all in depression mode. Life's over. Jesus is leaving. Oh, no. How will we ever survive? And so he's saying, you're not demonstrating care for me, but he still continues to demonstrate care for these negligent disciples. And Jesus demonstrates love, mercy, and care for his disciples. In verse 6, they are sorrowing over their own perceived loss. It's what they think is what's happening. They think that they have lost something, and so it's a perceived loss. It, it kind of reminds me of um, a child growing up. You know, As a child grows up, they have many perceived losses through their life, right? Whether that perceived loss be the fact that um, mom doesn't immediately come and transport them to where they want to go. Anastasia's kind of getting to that point where um, she really would like to get across the hall or the, the room a little bit, um, another two feet so that she could grab that toy that kind of rolled away. And she hasn't figured out that she can actually crawl there. But she, what she does is she just sits there and wails. And eventually she'll learn through this that what she thinks is a perceived loss will actually provide her with more freedom, right? Because she's going to be able to learn how to crawl and get to that toy, and she'll be able to get that toy anytime. And she won't have to have mom. And as she grows, she'll have more and more perceived losses, but actually they're providing, they're helping her grow, they're helping her mature and become more independent. But Jesus isn't really stopping to care for them. It's just what they perceive to be a loss. Jesus is still caring for them, and he's going to explain to them in just a little bit here how he is caring for them. In verse 7, their perceived loss is actually going to be for their advantage. It's going to be something that benefits them. It's going to be something that helps them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. They're going to receive a helper that comes to help them. They didn't have access to unless Jesus left. It's to their advantage. And he's going to flesh out some of the more uh, intricate, detailed ideas of what does this advantage look like. But one of them is that the Holy Spirit will personally indwell individual believers. And whereas right now Jesus has to be personally with them for them to have the presence of God... The Holy Spirit's going to indwell. He's going to live inside believers. He's going to live inside them. And so, whereas Jesus could only be with so many disciples if the disciples decided to go to Walmart and Target at the same time, that's not true with the Holy Spirit. He indwells all believers simultaneously. And so it's to their benefit. The, the other thing that we, we touched on a little bit in Sunday school, we looked at a little bit in our scripture reading is 
but the Holy Spirit actually fills the believer. And as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can live lives that are honoring, that are glorifying to God, that are seeking to accomplish His will. We are led by Him, we are guided by Him, we are submitting to Him. So we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's not something that we can live without. And, and that's not the primary emphasis of this passage. But these are all extra benefits that they'll get. These are advantages that Jesus is not going to, at this time, fully explain to them. He's going to develop another idea. But I want you to see that there's, there's more to it than just what he's saying right here. The benefits of the Holy Spirit are greater than just what he's going to develop in verse 8 and then explain in verses 9, 10, and 11. And then what he's going to do in verses 12 through 15. But the Holy Spirit's the ministry of Jesus is continued by convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 8, he's going to begin developing and explaining this idea to his disciples. And he says, and when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this is a vital ministry in the world. This is something that is extremely important. This is important for my life. It's important for your life. It's important for the world. Why? Because until this is true, that we have realized our own sinfulness, until we've realized the righteousness of Christ, until we've realized that we are serving the one who has been judged by God the Father. And that's found wanting, right? The prince of the air has been judged. He's going to lose. He's still loose. He's still doing stuff. But until we understand that the one who we formally serve is no longer going to be victorious, our eternal destiny is in a very dangerous place because we face that same condemnation. We deserve that same punishment. <clears throat> so why were you and I in need of, or still in need of this news? Why do we need this ministry? He's going to explain what this ministry looks like in verses 9, 10, and 11. What does this convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit look like? First of all, he says the world is convicted of sin in verse 9. Why? Why is the world convicted of sin? Is it because they've done something horrible? Is it because they, you know, stole a couple bucks from their mom as they're growing up? Is it because they worshipped an idol? Why is the world convicted of sin? Why is the world found to be sinful? And he tells us in verse 9 that the, the primary reason why they are guilty of sin is because there was a time in our life in which we still rejected God, in which we still rejected Jesus' ministry on our behalf. They saw the ministry of Jesus, and this is even more true of the world right there. Because they were able to personally interact with Jesus, see Jesus do his ministry, do his miracles, preach his word, 
They interacted with Jesus personally. And they saw that all. And what did they say? These are the works of, not God, but of the devil. And so they rejected Jesus and said that he was actually doing the works of the devil instead of the works of God. And he says that this is the primary sin that demonstrates that you are sinful. Is this continual rejection of who Jesus is. We are sinners. We stand condemned before God. We are in desperate need of Jesus' finished work in saving us and providing us with eternal life. And yet so many continue on, persist in a state of rejecting. They, they believe that Jesus is a good man. They believe that Jesus is maybe even God, but they don't ever come to the place where they realize that what Jesus did was personally for them so that they can avoid the punishment of hell. He goes on, though, in verse 10, he says, The world is convicted of the truth of righteousness, in verse 10. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. This was probably one of the more difficult ones to understand. What is he, what is he saying? How does, how does Jesus going demonstrate righteousness? What does that mean? In verse 10, what he's trying to do is, he's saying, many people thought that they were right in condemning Jesus. They thought that as they looked at Jesus' ministry and told Jesus that he was doing the works of the devil and that he was not serving God, many thought that they were justified in doing that. And what Jesus is saying is, Jesus can look at these people and tell them that they are, in fact, guilty because he will be vindicated. How is Jesus going to be vindicated? How is Jesus going to be made righteous or demonstrated that he's righteous? And the way that he demonstrates that he is righteous is that when he dies and he's buried and he's in the grave for three days, what happens? He is raised. And when he is raised... He isn't just raised to simply walk the earth for the next 30 years until he eventually dies of natural causes. He is raised and he is received by God the Father. Victoriously. Demonstrating that God sees Jesus Christ as righteous. When Jesus then goes to the Father and is received by the Father, he will be vindicated as righteous. That is what verse and say it of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Because the Father will receive him and not reject him, he will be declared righteous in his words and actions on the earth. This is an important aspect of understanding the convicting work of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to see that we are sinners, that we have rejected Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and to see that Jesus is indeed righteous, that we are in desperate need of him. But then the Holy Spirit also helps us to see that the world is convicted of judgment. Ultimately, the fact that the prince of the air, verse 11, 
of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Because he is judged, and those who do not serve Jesus are actively serving the ruler of the world, they're serving the devil. This results in their condemnation. They are judged. They stand condemned before God. Why? Because they deserve that punishment. That is who they are. They are actively pursuing, serving the world, the world system. And so the Holy Spirit comes in. He helps us to see that we are sinners. Why? Because we do not receive Christ. That is the ultimate sin. He helps us to see that Jesus is truly righteous, that Jesus is truly worth our worship. And he helps us to see that because of these two things, and because God has already defeated the ruler of the world, that we stand judged, that we are under God's judgment as well. And you gotta you got to take it all then into consideration. Jesus is saying that this is to our benefit, right? So verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And what is this helper going to be doing? This helper comes alongside us as we go about our ministry of witnessing of trying to reach the lost people in your life whether that be your neighbor to your left or your neighbor to your right or the neighbor behind you whether that be the co-worker that you work with whether that be that family member who continues to persist in rejecting jesus christ the holy spirit comes alongside and he helps us as we seek to explain and to reveal who your friend, your neighbor, your coworker is, who Jesus is, and why they are in need of him, because they are under judgment. The Holy Spirit helps us in our responsibility to witness. The Holy Spirit equips us and helps us to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so what would the Holy Spirit say about your life when it comes to your responsibility to also be involved in helping people see their sinfulness and helping people see the exceeding righteousness of Jesus Christ and helping people see that they face judgment from God. Well, the Holy Spirit say, yeah, they're actively pursuing these types of relationships. They're actively seeking to help their friends, their neighbors see that they are sinners, that they deserve God's judgment they are under God's judgment, that they are under God's wrath. And that they're pointing people to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And saying Jesus Christ is the only means by which you escape your sinful state. Is the only means by which you escape the judgment that is stored up for you. What would the Holy Spirit say about your responsibility to be helped. Are you actually being helped? The Holy Spirit is supposed to be your helper. He's not supposed to just do it all himself. You're supposed to be actively involved in this ministry as well. 
are you actively involved in that? But then you also see the Holy Spirit's ministry for the disciples in John chapter 12, verses six, or John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus continues his compassionate care for his own in verse 12. I, have, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He, he realizes that still what he could tell them, if he told them, it would overwhelm them. But he continues to demonstrate care. He tells them that the Holy Spirit guides the apostles to all truth in verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Sometimes I think we're tempted to think that verse 13 was saying that the Holy Spirit was going to guide me personally into all truth. But you got to remember that Jesus is talking, and who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. The disciples didn't have the entire New Testament, right? They didn't have any of the New Testament, okay? I think the disciples have been guided into all truth. They have recorded for us, okay? And so we're no longer being guided into all truth. We have all the truth, okay? Does the Holy Spirit help us to understand what we've been given? Yes, but there's not a continual guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit into all truth. We have all the truth. It is our responsibility to read, to meditate, to let it um, to let it work in our lives and to change us. But the Holy Spirit, I don't think, is still guiding us into all truth. Okay? It's also it, it, it's also comforting to know that the Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all truth. Because most people who are teaching have a hobby horse of some sort. Hopefully, you don't know what my hobby horse is. Right? Okay. But most teachers have a hobby horse. And, and they'd be tending to teach one aspect. And, and just kind of continually hammer the disciples with, you got to get this part. If you really get this aspect of Christianity, you know, everything else will just come into place because you've got this aspect. But the Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all truth. He explained everything to them so that they had a full and equipped belt so that they could continue to minister in the church, that they could continue to train future church leaders. And we have that too through God's word. Okay? And, and so how are we using what we've been given? The Holy Spirit guides the apostles into all truth. The apostles then record for us God's holy word which is complete and perfect and able to make us competent for every good work, right? But are we spending time using the gift that we've been given? Do we spend time reading God's word? Do we spend time meditating on God's word? Do we allow God's word to sculpt and to shape us so that we look more like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit then also ultimately results, his ministry ultimately will glorify Jesus. In verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 
All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The ultimate result of the Holy Spirit's ministry is that Jesus is glorified. And that's something that's supposed to be continually being seen, right? Why did the Holy Spirit reveal all truth to the disciples, the apostles? Ultimately, it's so that Jesus Christ is glorified. And ultimately, why do we have God's complete word? It's so that we can look at it, so that we can meditate on it, so that we can read it and allow it to change our life. Why? So that we too can be people who are glorifying God in every area of our life. And is that true? Is that evident in your life? Are you someone who is pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ that will result in him being magnified, him being glorified? And finally, lest we think that the Trinity is somehow disconnected and not unified, he makes it very clear the Holy Spirit's message is in union with the Son and the Father's message. Verse 15. Trinity is unified. Their message is one. They want to see people come to Christ in saving faith. They want me and you to understand God's full message, and so we have it preserved for us. And ultimately, that leads to lives that are honoring, that are glorifying to Jesus Christ. What does John chapter 16 want of my life? What does John chapter 16 want of your life? Why why does he tie all this in? I, I think the big thing is responding to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. That's been a theme that John continually over and over again returns to. You and I are sinners. We stand condemned before a holy righteous God. We are in desperate need of his saving work. And, and the danger is that we would go to church that we would do all the right things but at the end of our life that it's never been actually something that we've realized is true of me. That I am a sinner. That I stand under God's wrath. And that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins personally. And that I need to place my faith in his work on my behalf. And the Holy Spirit's here to help the world see that. To help you and I help the world see that. And so we need to personally respond to this message. And then once we've personally responded to this message... Get about the work of showing the world you are a sinner, Christ is righteous, and you stand condemned. But this doesn't have to be true of you your entire life. Because Christ is righteous, 
you can go to him and you can place your faith in him and you don't have to face the judgment. And then finally, rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the Holy Spirit, throughout this discourse, we've had five different passages. These are two of them. But there's been three previously where Jesus, as he's been talking to his disciples, has zoomed into the Holy Spirit and said, this is something that the Holy Spirit does or will do for you when he comes. And so we should rejoice in what he has done in our lives. He's brought us to a place where we've realized that we are sinners. He's helped us to realize that Christ is righteous. He's helped us to realize that we were under the judgment. But we've been released from that condemnation as believers. And now he, he comforts us. He fills us with his spirit if we are submitting to him. And so now we can walk by the Spirit. We can live lives that are honoring and glorifying to God. We can live lives that are producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that should cause you and I to rejoice in his continued ministry and past ministry in our lives. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your work in our lives. We pray that you would help us as we well, about this week, we pray that you would be blessing us and helping us to be pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we'll sing our last song for the morning service.